The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, continuing the story of The Hobbit. Chapter 5 The Window on the West It seemed to Sam that he had only dozed for a few minutes when he awoke to find that it was late afternoon and Faramir had come back. He had brought many men with him. Indeed, all the survivors of the foray were now gathered on the slope nearby, two or three hundred strong. They sat in a wide semicircle, between the arms of which Faramir was seated on the ground, while Frodo stood before him. It looked strangely like the trial of a prisoner. Sam crept out from the fern, but no one paid any attention to him, and he placed himself at the end of the rows of men where he could see and hear all that was going on. He watched and listened intently, ready to dash to his master's aid if needed. He could see Faramir's face, which was now unmasked. It was stern and commanding, and the keen wit lay behind his searching glance. Doubt was in the gray eyes that gazed steadily at Frodo. Sam soon became aware that the captain was not satisfied with Frodo's account of himself at several points. What part he had to play in the company that set out from Rivendell, why he had left Boromir, and where he was going now. In particular, he returned often to Isildur's bane. Plainly, he saw that Frodo was concealing from him some matter of great importance. But it was at the coming of the halfling that Isildur's bane should waken, or so one must re read the words, he insisted. If then you are the halfling that was named, doubtless you brought this thing, whatever it may be, to the council of which you speak, and there Boromir saw it. Do you deny it? Frodo made no answer. So, said Faramir, I wish then to learn from you more of it, for what concerns Boromir concerns me. An orc's arrow slew Isildur, so far as old tales tell. But orc arrows are plenty, and the sight of one would not be taken as a sign of doom by Boromir of Gondor. Had you this... Had you this thing in keeping, it is hidden, you say, but is not that because you choose to hide it? No, not because I choose, answered Frodo. It does not belong to me. It does not belong to any mortal, great or small. Though if any could claim it, it would be Aragorn, son of Arthorn, who I named, the leader of our company from Moria to Roros. Why so, and not Boromir, prince of the city that the sons of Elendil founded? Because Aragorn is descended in direct lineage, father to father from Isildur's Elendil's son himself, and the sword that he bears was Elendil's sword. A murmur of astonishment ran through all the ring of men. Some cried aloud, The sword of Elendil! The sword of Elendil comes to Minas Tirith! Great tidings! But Faramir's face was unmoved. Maybe, he said, but so a great claim will need to be established, and clear proofs will be required, should this Argon ever come to Minas Tirith. He had not come, nor any of your company, when I set out six days ago. Boromir was satisfied of that claim, said Frodo. Indeed, if Boromir were here, he would answer all your questions, and since he was already at Roros many days back and intended then to go straight to your city, if you return, you may soon learn the answers there. My part in the company was known to him, as to all the others, for it was appointed to me by Elrond of Emildris himself before the whole council. On that errand I came into this country, but it is not mine to reveal to any outside the company. Yet those who claim to oppose the enemy would do well not to hinder it. Frodo's tone was proud. Whatever he felt, and Sam approved, it, approved of it, but it did not appease Faramir. So, he said, you bid me mind my own affairs and get me back home and let you be. Boromir will tell all when he comes. When he comes, say you, were you a friend of Boromir? Vividly before Frodo's mind came the memory of Boromir's assault upon him, and for a moment he hesitated. Boromir's eyes, watching him, grew harder. Boromir was a valiant member of our company, said Frodo at length. Yes, I was his friend for my part. 
Faramir smiled grimly. Then you would grieve to learn that Boromir is dead? I would grieve indeed, said Frodo. Then catching the look in Faramir's eyes, he faltered. Dead, he said. Do you mean that he is dead and that you knew it? You have been trying to trap me in words playing with me? Or are you now trying to snare me with a false with a falsehood? I wouldn't I would not snare even an orc with the falsehood, said Faramir. How then did he die, and how do you know of it, since you say that none of the company had reached the city when you left? As of the, as to the manner of his death, I had hoped that his friend and companion would tell me uh, tell me how it was. But he was alive and strong when we parted, and he lives still for all that I know. Though surely there are many perils in the world. Many indeed, said Faramir, and treachery not the least. Sim had been getting more and more impatient and angry at this conversation. These last words were more than he could bear, and bursting into the middle of the ring, he strode up to his master's side. Begging your pardon, Mr. Frodo, he said, but this has gone on long enough. He has no right to talk to you so. After all you've gone through, as much for his good and all these great men as for anyone else. See here, Captain, he planted himself squarely in front of Faramir, his hands on his hips and a look on his face as if he was addressing a young hobbit what offered him what he called a sauce when questioned about visits to the orchard. There was some murmuring, but also some grins on the faces of the men looking on. The sight of their captain sitting on the ground and eye to eye with a young hobbit, legs well apart, bristling with wrath, was one beyond their experience. See here, he said, what are you driving at? Let's come to the point before all the orcs of Mordor come down on us. If you think my master murdered this Boromir and then ran away, you have, you've got no sense. But say it and have done, and then let us know what you mean to bu to do about it. But it's a pity that folk as talk about fighting the enemy can't let others do their bit in their own way without interfering. He might, he'd be pl mighty pleased if he could see you now. Think he'd got a new friend, he would. Patience, said Faramir, but without anger. Do not speak before your master, whose wit is greater than yours. And I do not need any to teach me of your peril, even so in a hard matter. Were I, were I as hasty as you, I might have slain you long ago, for I, am a, for I am commanded to slay all whom I find in this land without leave of the Lord of Gondor. But I do not slay men, man or beast needlessly, and not gladly, even when it is needed. Neither do I talk in vain, so be comforted. Sit by your master and be silent. Sam sat down heavily with a red face. Faramir turned to Frodo again. You asked how do I know the son, that the son of Denethor is dead. Tidings of death have many wings. Night oft brings news to near kindred, tis said. Boromir was my brother. A shadow of sorrow passed over his face. Do you remember aught of special mark that the Lord, Lord Boromir bore with him among his gear? Frodo thought for a moment, fearing some further trap, and wondered how this debate would turn and end. He had hardly saved the ring from the proud grasp of Wormir, and how he would fare now among so many men, warlike and strong, he did not know. And he felt in his heart that Faramir, though he was much like his brother in looks, was a man less self-regarding, both sterner and wiser. I remember that Boromir bore a horn, he said at last. You remember well, and as one who has and as one who has in truth seen him, said Faramir, then maybe you can see it in your mind's eye, a great horn of the wild ox of the east, bound with silver and written with ancient characters. That horn is the, that horn the eldest son of our house has borne for many generations, and it is said that if it be blown at any 
at need anywhere within the bounds of Gondor as the realm was of old, its voice will not pass unheeded. Five days ere I set out this venture, eleven days ago at about this hour of the day, I heard the blowing of that horn. From the north would it seemed but dim, as if it were but an echo in the mind. A boding of ill we thought it, my father and I, for no tidings, tidings had we heard of Bormer since he went away, and no watcher on our borders had seen him pass. And on the third night after another, and a stranger thing befell me. I sat at night by the waters of Anduin, in the gray dark under the young pale moon, watching the ever-moving stream, and the sad reeds rustling. So do we ever watch the shores Niles Gilead, watch our, which our enemies now partly hold, and issue from it to harry our lands. But that night all the world slept at the midnight hour. Then I saw, or it seemed that I saw, a boat floating on the water, glimmering gray, a small boat of a strange fashion with a high prow, and there was none to row or steer it. And all fell on me, for a pale light was round it. But I rose and went to the bank and began to walk out into the stream, for I was drawn towards it. Then the boat turned towards me and stayed its pace and floated slowly by within my hand's reach. Yet I durst not to, but I durst not handle it. It waded deep as if it were heavily burdened, and it seemed to me, as it passed under my gaze, that it was almost filled with clear water, from which came the light and lapped in the water. A warrior lay asleep. A broken sword was on his knee. I saw many wounds on him. It was Boromir, my brother, dead. I knew his gear, his sword, his beloved face. One thing, I missed his horn. One thing, only I knew not. A fair belt, as if it were linked golden leaves about his waist. Boromir, I cried, where is thy horn? Whither goest thou, O Boromir? But he was gone. The boat turned into the stream and passed glimmering on into the night. Dream like it was, and yet no dream, for there was no waking, and I do not doubt that he is dead and passed down the river to the sea. Alas, said Frodo, that was indeed Boromir as I knew him, for the golden belt was given to him in Lothlorien by the lady by the lady Galadriel. She was the same she she was that clothed us as you see us in open grey. This brooch is of the same workmanship. He touched the green and silver leaf that fastened his cloak beneath his throat. Farmer, Farmer looked closely at it. It is beautiful, he said. Yes, tis work of the same craft. So then you pass through the land of Lorien? Lorilandorinen, it was named of old. But long now it has lain beyond the knowledge of men. He added softly, regarding Frodo with a new wonder in his eyes. Much that was strange about you I begin now to understand. Will you not tell me more? For it is a bitter thought that Boromir died within sight of the land of his home. No more can I say than I have said, answered Frodo, though your tale fills me with foreboding. A vision is that what you saw, I think, and not of evil fortune that has been or will be. Unless indeed it is some long trick of the enemy. I have seen the faces of fair warriors of old laid in sleep beneath the pools of the dead marshes, or seeming so by his foul arts. Nay, it was not so, said Faramir, for his work fills the heart with loathing, but my heart was filled with grief and pity. Yet how could yet how could such a thing have happened in truth, asked Frodo, for no boat could have been carried over the stony hills from Tolbrander, and Boromir purposed to go home across the Entwash in the fields of Rohan, 
And yet how could any vessel ride the form of the great falls and not founder in the boiling pools, though laden with great water? I know not, said Farmer, but whence came the boat? From Lorien, said Frodo, in such three boats we rode down Andu into the falls. They were also they also were of elven work. You passed through the hidden land, said Farmer, but it seems that you little understood its power. If men had dealings with the mistress of magic who dwells in the golden wood, then they may look for strange things to follow, for it is perilous for a mortal man to walk out of the world of the sun, and a, and few of old came thence unchanged, tis said. Boromir, oh Boromir, he cried, what did she say to you, the lady that does, that dies not? What did she see? What woke in your heart then? Why why went you ever to Lord Lindorinen? and came not by your own road, upon the horses of Rohan, riding home in the morning. Then turning again to Frodo, he spoke in a quiet voice more, quiet voice once more. To those questions, I guess that you could make some answer, Frodo, son of Drogo, but not here and now, maybe. But lest you still should, but lest you still should think my television, I will tell you this. The horn of Boromir at least returned in truth, and not in seeming. The horn came, but it was cloven in two, as it were by axe or sword. The shards came severely to shore. One was found among the reeds where watchers of Gondor lay, northwards below the infalls of the Antwash. The other was found spinning on the flood by one who had an errand on the water. Strange chances, but murder will out, tis said. And now the horn of the elder son lies in two pieces upon the lap of Denethor, sitting in his high chair, waiting for news. And you can tell me nothing of the cleaving of the horn? No, I did not know of it, said Frodo. But the day when you heard it blowing, if your reckoning is true, was the day when we parted, when I and my servant left the company. And now your tale fills me with dread. For if, Bir for if Boromir was then in peril and was slain, I must fear that all my companions perished too and they were my kindred and my friends. Will you not put aside your doubt of me and let me go? I am weary and full of grief and afraid, but I have a deed to do or attempt before I before I too am slain, and the more need of haste if we if we two halflings are all that remain of our fellowship. Go back, Faramir, valiant captain of Gondor, and defend your city while you may, and let me go where my doom takes me. For me, there is no comfort in our speech together, said Faramir, but you surely draw from it more deed, more dread than need be, unless the people of Lorien themselves came to him, who arrayed Boromir as for a funeral. No orcs or servants of the nameless. Some of your company, I guess, live still. But whatever befell them on the north march, you, Frodo, I doubt no longer. If hard days have made me any judge of men's words and faces, then I may take a guess at halflings. Though, and now he smiled, there is something strange about you, Frodo, an elvish air maybe, but more lies upon our words together than I thought at first. I should now take you back to Minas Tirith to answer there to the Denethor, and my life will just and my life will justly be forfeit if I now choose a course that proves ill for my city. So I will not decide in haste what is to be done, and we must move hence without more delay. He sprang to his feet and issued some orders. At once the men who were gathered round him broke up into small groups and went off this way and that, vanishing quickly down into the shadows of the rocks and trees. Soon only Mablung and Demrod remained. Now you, Frodo and Samwise, will come with me and my guards, said Faramir. 
You cannot go along the road southwards if that was your purpose. It will be unsafe for some days, and always more closely watched after this affray than it has been yet. And you cannot, I think, go far today in any case, for you are wary, and so are we. We are going now to a secret place we have, somewhat less than ten miles from here. The orcs and spies of the enemy have not found it yet, and if they did, we could hold it long even against many. There we may lie up and rest for a while, and you with us. In the morning, I'll decide what is best for me to do, and for you. There was nothing for Frodo to do but to fall in with this request or order. It seemed in any case a wise course for the moment, since this foray of the men of Gondor had made a journey in Ithilien more dangerous than ever. They set out at once, Mablung and Damrod a little ahead, and Farmir with Frodo and Sam behind, skittering the highest... Skirting the hither side of the pool where the hobbits had bathed, they crossed the stream, climbed a long bank, and passed into green-shadowed woodlands that marched ever downwards and westwards. While they walked as swiftly as the hobbits could go, they talked in hushed voices. I broke off our speech together, said Faramir, not only because time pressed, as Master Samwise has reminded me, but also because we were drawing near to matters that we better not debate it openly before many men. It was for the re that reason that I turned rather to the matter of my brother and let be Isildur's bane. You were not wholly frank with me, Frodo. I told no lies, and of the truth I all I could, said Frodo. I do not blame you, said Farmir. You spoke with skill in a hard place, and wisely it seemed to me. But I learned or guessed more from you than your words said. You were not friendly with Boromir, or you did not part in friendship. You and Master Samwise, too. I guess, have some grievance. Now I loved him dearly, and, not, and would gladly avenge his death, yet I knew him well. Isildur's bane, I would hazard, I would hazard that Isildur's bane lay between you and what cause of contention in your company. Clearly it is a mighty heirloom of some sort, and may be learned from ancient tales. Sorry. And such things do not breed peace among confederates, not if aught may be learned from ancient tales. Do I not hit near the mark? Near, said Frodo, but not in the gold. There was no con contention in our company, though there was doubt, doubt which may we should take from the Emin mule. But be that as it may, ancient tales teach us the peril of rash words concerning such things as heirlooms. Ah, then it is as I thought. You trouble, your trouble with Bormir was alone. He wished that the thing brought to Minas Tirith. Alas, it is crooked fate that seals your lips who saw him last and holds from me that which i long to know what was in his heart and thought in his latest hours whether he erred or no for of this i am sure he died while achieving some good thing his face was more beautiful even than his life even in life but frodo i pressed you hard at the first about isildur's bane forgive me it was unwise in such an hour and place i had not had time for that we had a hard fight, and there was more than enough to fill my mind. But even as you spoke, I drew nearer to the mark, and so deliberately shot wider. For you must know that match is still preserved of ancient lore among the rulers of the city that is not spread abroad. We of my house are not of the line of Elendil, though the blood of Numenor is, on us, is in us. For we reckon back our line to Mardil the good steward, who ruled in the king's stead when he went away to war. And that was the king, Yarner, last of the line of 
Anarion, and childless, and he came never back. And the stewards had governed the city since that day, though it was many generations of men ago. And this remember of Bormir as a boy, when we together learned the tale of our sires and the history of our city, that always displeased him that his father was not king. How many hundreds of years needs it to make a, a steward a king, if the king returns not, he asked. Few years maybe in other places of less royalty, my father answered. In Gondor, ten thousand years would not suffice. Alas, poor Bormir, does that not tell you something of him? It does, said Frodo, yet always he treated Argorn with honor. I doubt it not, said Faramir, if he were satisfied of Argorn's claim, as you say. He would greatly reverence him, but the pinch had not yet come. They had not re yet reached Minas Tirith, or become rivals in her wars. But I stray, we in the house of Denethor know much ancient lore by the long tradition, and there are moreover in our treasuries many things preserved, books and tables writ on withered parchments, yea, and on stone, and on leaves of silver and gold, and diverse characters. Some none can now read, and for the rest few ever unlock them. I can read a little in them, for I have had teaching. It was these records that brought the great pilgrim to us. I first saw him when I was a child, and he has been twice or thrice since then. The great pilgrim, said Frodo. Has he had a name? Mithrandir, we called him in elf fashion, said Faramir, and he was content. Many of my names in many countries, he said. Mithrandir among the elves, darken to the dwarves. O Loren, I was in my youth, in the west that is forgotten, in the south in Canuus, in the north Gandalf. To the east I go not. Gandalf, said Frodo, I thought it was he, Gandalf the Grey, dearest of counselors, leader of our company. He was lost in Moria. Mithrandir was lost, said Faramir, an evil fate seems to have pursued your fellowship. It is hard indeed to believe that one of so great wisdom and of power, for many wonderful things he did among us, could perish, and so much lore be taken from the world. Are you sure of this, and that he did not just leave you and depart where he would? Alas, yes, said Frodo, I saw him fall into the abyss. I see that there is some great tale of dread in this, said Faramir, which perhaps you may tell me in the evening time. This Mithrandir was, I now guess, more than a lore master, a great mover of the concerning, a great mover of the deeds that are done in our time. He had been among us to consult concerning the hard words of our dream. He could have made them clear to us without needing of messenger. That maybe he would not have done so, and the journey of Boromir was doomed. Mithrandir never got, never spoke to us of what was to be, nor did he reveal his purposes. He got leave to Denethor, how, do, how I do not know, to look at the secrets of our treasury, and I learned a little of him when he would teach, and all that, and that was seldom. Even ever he would search and would question us, above all else concerning the great battle that was fought upon. Dagorlad in the beginning of Gondor, when he whom we do not of we do not name was overthrown, and he was eager for stories of Isildur, though of him we had less to tell, for nothing certain was ever known among us of his end. Now Faramir's voice sank to a whisper. But this much I learned, or guessed, that I and I have kept it ever secret in my heart since, that Isildur took somewhat from the hand of the unnamed ere he went away from Gondor, never to be seen among mortal men again. Here I thought the answer of Mithrandir's questioning, but it seemed then a matter that concerned only the secrets after ancient learning. 
not when the riddling words of our dream were debated among us. Did I think of Isildur's bane as being the same thing? For Isildur was ambushed and slain by orc arrows, according to the only legend that we knew, and Mithundir has never told me more. What in truth this thing is I cannot yet guess, but some heirloom of power and peril it must be, a foul weapon perchance devised by the Dark Lord. If for a thing that gave advantage in battle, I can well believe that Boromir, the proud and fearless, often rash, ever anxious for the gift for the victory of Minas Tirith and his own glory therein, might desire such a thing and be allured by it. Alas, that ever he went on that errand, I should have been chosen by my father and the elders, but he put himself forward as being the older and more hardier, both true, and he would not be stayed. But fear no more, I would not take this thing if it lay by the highway, not were ministereth falling into the ruin, and I alone could save her, so using the weapon of the Dark Lord for her good and my glory, nor do I not wish for such triumphs, Frodo, son of Drogo. Neither did the council, said Frodo, nor do I. I would have nothing to do with such matters. For myself, said Faramir, I would see the white tower and tree again in the courts of the courts of the kings, and the silver crown returned and ministereth in peace. Minister again as of old, full of light, high and fair, beautiful as a queen among other queens, not a mistress of many slaves, nay, not even a kind mistress of willing slaves. One must be, while we defended our lives against the destroyer who would devour all. But I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I love only that which they defend, the city of the men of Numenor, and I would have her loved for her memory, her ancient tree, her beauty, and her present wisdom, not feared, save as men may fear the dignity of a man, old and wise. So fear me not. I do not ask you to tell me more. I do not even ask you to tell me whether I now speak nearer the mark, but if you would trust me, it may be that I can advise you in your present quest, whatever that be, whatever that be. yes, and even aid you. Frodo made no answer, almost he yielded to the desire for help and counsel, to tell this grave young man, whose words seemed so wise and fair, all that was in his mind. But something had held him back. His heart was heavy with fear and sorrow. If he and Sam were indeed as mo as seemed likely, all that was now left of the nine walkers, then he was in sole commander of the secret of the errand. Better mistrust undeserved better mistrust undeserved than rash words. In the memory of Boromir of the dreadful change that the Lord of the Ring had worked in him was very present to his mind. When he looked at Faramir, he listened to his voice. Unlike they were, and yet also much akin. They walked on in silence for a while, passing like gray and green shadows under the old trees, their feet making no sound above them. Many birds sang, and the and the sun glistened on the polished roof of the dark leaves in the evergreen woods of Ithilien. Sam had taken no part in this conversation, though he had listened, and at the same time he had attended with his keen hobbit ears to all the soft with the noises about them. One thing he had noted that in all the talk of the name of Gollum had not come up. He was he was glad, though he felt that it was too much to hope that he would never hear it again. He soon became he soon became aware also that though they walked alone, there were many men close at hand. Not only Damrod and Marblunk flitting in and out of the shadows ahead, but others on either side, all making their swift, secret way to some appointed place. 
Once looking back suddenly, as if some prickle of the skin told him that he was watched from behind, he thought he caught a brief glimpse of a small dark shape slipping behind the tree trunk. He opened his mouth and spe to speak and shouted again. I'm not sure of it, he said to himself, and why should I remind them of the old villain if they choose to forget him? I wish I could. So they passed on until the woodlands grew thinner and the land began to fall more steeply. Then they turned aside again to the right and became quickly to a small river in, the, in a narrow gorge. It was the same stream that trickled far above out of the round pool, now grown to a swift torrent, leaping down over many stones in a deep cloven bed, overhung with elixir and draw, dark boxwoods. Looking west, they could see, below them in a haze of light, lowlands and broad meads, and glinting far off in the westerning sun the wide waters of the Anduin. Here, alas, I must do you a discourtesy, said Farmir. I hope you will pardon it to one who has so far made his orders give way to courtesy as not to slay you or to bind you, but it is a command that no stranger, not even one of Rohan that fights with us, shall see the path we go now with open eyes. I must blindfold you. As you will, said Frodo. Even the elves do likewise at need, and blindfolded we crossed the borders of the fair Lothlorien. Gimli the dwarf took it ill, but the hobbits endured it. It is no place it is to no place so fair that I shall lead you, said Farmir, but I am glad that you will take this willingly and not by force. He called softly and immediately Mablong and Damrod stepped out of the trees and came back to him. Blindfold these guests, said Farmir, securely but not so as to discomfort them. Do not tie their hands. They will give their word to not try to see. I could trust them to shut their eyes on their own accord, but eyes will blink if the feet stumble. Lead them so that they do not falter. With green scarves, the two guards now bound up the hobbits' eyes and drew their hoods down almost to their mouths. Then quickly they took each one by the hand and went on their way. All that Frodo and Sam knew of this last mile of the road they learned from guessing in the dark, and a little after a little, they found that they were on a path descending steeply. Soon it grew so narrow that they went in single file, brushing a stony wall on either side. Their guards steered them from behind with a hands laid firmly on their shoulders. Now and again, they came to the rough places and were lifted from their feet for a while and then sat down again. Always the noise of the running water was on their right hand, and it grew nearer and louder. At length, they were halted. Quickly, Mablong and Damrod turned them about several times, and they lost all sense of direction. They climbed upwards a little. It seemed cold, and the noise of the stream had become faint. Then they picked up and carried. Then they were picked up and carried down, down many steps and around a corner. Suddenly, they heard the water again, loud now, rushing and splashing, all around them it seemed, and they felt a fine rain on their hands and cheeks. At last, they were set on their feet once more. For a moment they stood so, half fearful, blindfold, not knowing where they were, and no one spoke. Then came the voice of Faramir close behind. Let them see, he said. The scarves were removed from their hoods, drawn back, and they blinked and gasped. They stood on a wet floor of polished stone, the doorstep, as it were, of a rough-hewn gate of rock opening dark behind them, where in front of a thin veil of water was hung, so near that Frodo could have put an outstretched arm into it. It faced westward. The level shafts of the setting sun behind beat upon it, and the red light was broken into many flickering beams of ever-changing color. It was as if they had stood at the window of some elven tower, curtained with threaded jewels of silver and gold, and ruby, sapphire, and amethyst, all kindled with an unconsuming fire. 
At least by good chance we came at the right hour to reward you for your patience, said Farmer. This is the window of the sunset, Henneth and noon, fairest of all the falls of Ithilien, land of many fountains. Few strangers have ever seen it, but there is no kingly hall behind to match it. Enter now and see. Even as he spoke, the sun sank and the fire faded in the flowing water. They turned and passed into the low of forbidding arch. At once they found themselves in a rock chamber, wide and rough, with an uneven stooping roof. A, a few torches were kindled and they cast a dim light on the glistening walls. Many men were already there. Others were still coming in by twos and threes through a dark narrow door on one side. As their eyes grew accustomed to the gloom of the hobbits, saw that the cave was larger than they had guessed and was filled with great stone of arms and victuals. Well, here is our refuge, said Faramir, not a great place, not a place of great ease, but here you may pass the night in peace. It is dry at least, and there is food, though no fire. At one time the water flowed down through this cave and out of the arch, but it seemed, but it, but its course was changed further up the gorge by workmen of old, and the stream sent down in a fall of doubled height over the rocks far above. All the ways into this grot were then sealed against the entry of water and else. All safe. There are now but two ways out. The passage yonder by which you entered blindfold, and through the window curtain into a deep bowl filled with knives of stone. Now rest a while until the evening meal is set. The hobbits were taken to a corner and given a low bed to lie on, if they wished. Meanwhile, men busied themselves about the cave, quietly and in orderly quickness. Light, light, light tables were taken from the walls and set up on trestles and laden with gear. This was plain and unadorned for the most part, but all well and fairly made. Round platters, bowls and dishes of glazed brown clay or turned boxwood, smooth and clean. Here and there was a cup of basin or polished bronze and a goblet of plain silver that was set by the captain's seat in the middle of the inmost table. Farmer went about among the men, questioning each as he came in, in a soft voice. Some came back from the pursuit of the Southrons. Others, others left behind as scouts near the road came in latest. All the southern Southrons have been accounted for, save only a great Mumak. What happened to him none could say. Of the enemy no movement could be seen. Not even Orc's spy was abroad. You saw and heard nothing, unborn, Faramir asked of the latest comer. Well, no, lord, said the man, no orc at least, but I saw, or thought I saw, something a little strange. It was getting a deep dusk when the eyes made, when the eyes make things greater than they should be, so perhaps it may have been no more than a squirrel. Sam pricked up his ears at this. Yet if so, it was a black squirrel, and I saw no tail. "'Twas like a shadow on the ground, and it whisked behind a tree trunk when I drew nigh and went up aloft, as swift as any squirrel would. You will not have a slay wild beast for no purpose, and it seemed no more, so I tried no arrow. It was too dark for sure shooting anyway, and the creature was gone to the gloom of the leaves and a twinkling. But I stayed for a while, for it seemed strange, and then I hastened back. I thought I heard the thing hiss at me from high above as I turned away. A large squirrel, maybe.' Perhaps under the shadow of the unnamed, some of the beasts of Markwood are wandering hither to our woods. They have black squirrels there, tis said. Perhaps, said Faramir, but what would be an ill omen if it were so? We do not want to escape of Mirkwood and Ithilien, Sam fancied that he Sam fancied that he gave a swift glance towards the harvest as he spoke, but Sam said nothing. 
For a while, he and Frodo lay back and watched and tor- watched the torchlight, and the men moving to and fro speaking in hushed voices. Then suddenly Frodo fell asleep. Sam struggled with himself, arguing this way and that. He may be all right, he said he thought, and then he may not. Fair speech may hide a fall heart. He on. I could sleep for a week, and I'd be better for it. And what can I do, if I do keep awake, me all alone, and all these great men about? Nothing, Sam Gangi. But you've got to keep awake, all the same. And somehow he managed it. The light faded from the cave door, and the shadow veil of falling water grew dim and was lost in gathering shadow. Always the sound of the water went on, never changing its note. Morning or evening or night, it murmured and whispered of sleep. Sam stuck his knuckles in his eyes. Now more torches were being lit. A cask of wine was broached. Storage barrels were being opened. Men were fetching water from the fall. Some were laving their hands in basins. A wide copper bowl and a white cloth were brought to Farm Mary, and he washed. Wake our guests, he said, and take them water. It is time to eat. Frodo sat up and yawned and stretched. Sam, not used to being waited on, looked with some surprise at the tall man who bowed, holding a basin of water before him. Put it on the ground, master, if you please, he said. Easier for me and you. Then to, us, to the astonishment and pleasure, to the astonishment and amusement of the man, he plunged his head into the cold water and splashed his neck and ears. Is, this, is it the custom in your land to wash your head before supper, said the man who waited on the hobbits. No, before breakfast, said Slam. But if you're sure, short of sleep, cold water on the necks like a rain on wilted lettuce. There, now I can keep awake long enough to eat a bit. They were led to their seats behind Faramir, barrels covered with pelts and high enough above the benches of the men for their convenience. Before they ate, Faramir and all his men turned and faced west in a moment of silence. Faramir signed to Frodo and Sam that they should do likewise. So we always do, he said as they sat down. We look towards Numenor that was, and beyond to Elvenholm that is, and to, and to that which is beyond Elvenholm and will ever be. Have you so much custom at meat? No, said Frodo, feeling strangely rusty and untutored. But if we are guests, we bow to our host, and after we have eaten, we rise and thank him. That we also do, said Faramir. After so long journey and camping and days spent in the lonely wild, the evening meal seemed to, fe- seemed to feast to the hobbits, to drink pale yellow wine, cool and fragrant, and eat bread and butter, and salted meats, and dried fruits, and good red cheese, with clean hands and clean knives and plates. Neither Frodo nor Sam refused anything that was offered, nor a second nor third, nor indeed a third helping. The wine coursed in their veins and tired limbs, and they felt glad and easy of heart as they had not done since they had left the land of Lorien. When all was done, Farmer led them to a recess at the back of the cave, partly screened by curtains, and a chair of two stools were brought there. A little earthenware lamp bought bur- a little earthenware lamp burned in a niche. You may soon desire to sleep, he said, and especially good Samwise, who would not close his eyes before he ate, whether for fear of blunting the edge of a noble hunger, or for fear of me, I do not know. But it is not good to sleep too soon after me, and that following a, fa- a, fa- a fast. Let us talk a while. On your journey from Rivendell, there must be many things to tell, and you too would perhaps wish to learn something of us in the lands where you are now. Tell me of Boromir, my brother, and of old Mithrandir, and of the fair people of Lothlorien. Frodo no longer felt sleepy, and he was willing to talk. But though all, but though the food and wine had put him at his ease, he had not lost all his caution. 
Sam was beaming and humming to himself, but when Frodo spoke, he was far, he was, he was at first content to listen, only occasionally venturing to make an ex exclamation of agreement. Frodo told many tales, yet he always steered the matter away from the quest of the company and from the ring, enlarging rather on the brilliant part of Boromir had played in all their adventures with the wolves of the wild and the snows under Caradrat. Caradras, and in the mines of Moria or Gandalf fell. Faramir was the most moved by the story of the fight on the bridge. It must have irked Boromir to run from orcs, he said, or even from the fell thing you named, the Balrog, and the, even though he was the last to leave. He was the last to leave, said Frodo, but Argon was forced to lead us. He alone knew the way after Gandalf's fall, but had there not been a lesser, us lesser folk to take care for, I do not think that either he or Boromir would have fled. Maybe it would have been better had Boromir fallen there with Mithrandir, said Faramir, and not gone to the fate that waited above the falls of Roros. Maybe, but tell me now of your own fortune, said Frodo, turning the matter aside once again, for I would learn more of Minas Ithil and Osgiliath and Minas Tirith, the long enduring. What hope have you that the city in your long war? What hope have we, said Faramir, it is long since we had any hope. The sword of Elendil, if it returns indeed, may rekindle it, but I do not think that it will do more than put off in the evil day, unless other help unlooked for also comes from elves or men, for the enemy increases and we decrease. We are a failing people, a springless autumn. The men of Numenor were settled far and wide on the shores and seaward, and seaward regions of the great lands, but for the most part they fell into evils and follies. Many became enamored of the darkness and the black arts. Some were given over wholly to idleness and ease, and some fought among themselves until they were conquered in their weakness by, by the wild men. It is not said that evil arts were ever practiced in Gondor, or that the nameless one was ever named in honor there, and the old wisdom and beauty brought out of the east remained long in the realm of the sons of Elendil and, and the fair. Elendil the fair, and they linger there still. Yet even so it was Gondor that brought about its own decay, falling by degrees into dotage, and thinking that the enemy was asleep, who was only banished, not destroyed. Death was ever present because the Numenorians still, as they had in their old kingdom, and so lost it, hungered after endless life and changing. Kings made tombs more splendid than houses of the living, and counted old names from the rolls of the descent dearer than the names of sons. Childless lords sat in aged halls, musing on heraldry. In secret chambers, withered men compounded strong ex elixirs, or in high cold towers asked questions of the stars. In the last king of the line of Enarion, and and the last king of the line of Enarion had no heir. But the stewards were wiser and more fortunate. Wiser, for they recruited the strength of our people from the study from the sturdy folk of the sea coast from the hardy mountaineers of arid nimras and they assailed us men of fierce valor but our kin from afar off unlike the wild easterlings or the cruel haradrim so it came to pass in the days of saren the twelfth st steward and my father's the sixth and twentieth that they rode to our aid and at the great field of celebrant they destroyed our enemies that had seized our northern provinces they are the Rorim, as we named them, masters of horses, and we ceded to them the fields of Kalindurhan, that are since called Rohan, for the province had long been sparsely peopled, 
and they became our allies and have ever proved true to us, aiding us at need and guarding our northern marches in the gap of Rohan. Of our lore and manners they have learned what they would, and, our, and their lords speak of our speech at need, yet for the most part they hold by the ways of their own fathers and to their own memories, and they speak among themselves their own north tongue, and we love them, tall men and fair women, valiant both alike, gold-haired, bright-eyed, and strong. They remind us of the youth of men as they were in the elder days. Indeed, it is said by our lore masters that they have from that they have from of old days this affinity with us that they are come from the same three houses of men as were the numeneers in their beginning not from hador the golden-haired the elf friend maybe yet from such of his people as went not over the sea into the west refusing the call for so we reckon men in our lore calling them the higher calling them the high or men of the west which were numenorian and numenorians in the middle peoples, men of the twilight, such as are the Roarim and their kin, that dwell still far in the north, and the wild, the men of darkness. Yet now, if the Roarim are grown in some ways more like to us, enhanced in art and gentleness, we too have become more like to them, and can scarce claim any longer the title of high. We are become middle men of the twilight, but with memory of other things. For as the Roarim do, we now love war and valor as things good in themselves both a sport and an end and though we still hold that a warrior should have more more skills and knowledge than only their craft of weapons and sling we esteem a warrior none the less above met above men of other crafts such is the need of our days so even was my brother boromir a man of prowess prowess and for that he was accounted the best man in gondor and very valiant indeed he was no heir of Minas Tirith has gone, has for long years been so hardly in toil, so onward into battle, or blown in, or blown a mightier note on the great horn. Farmer sighed and fell silent for a while. You don't say much in all your tales about the elves, sir," said Sam, suddenly plucking up courage. He had noted that Farmer seemed to revert to elves with reverence, and this even more than his courtesy in his food and wine had sam once had one sam's respect and quieted his suspicion no indeed master sam i said faramir for i am not learned in elven lore but there you touch upon another point in which we have changed declining from numenor to middle earth for as you may know if mithrandir was your companion and you have spoken with elrond the edain the fathers of the numenorians fought beside the elves in the first wars you were rewarded by the gift of the kingdom in the midst of the sea within sight of elvenholm but in middle earth men and elves became estranged in the days of darkness by the arts of the enemy and by the slow changes of time in which each kind walked further down their sundered roads men now fear and misdoubt the elves and yet know little of them and we of gondor grow like other men like the men of rohan for even they who are foes of the dark lord shun the elves and speak of the golden wood with dread Yet there, are mo yet there are among us still some who have dealings with the elves when they may, and ever and anon will go on in secret go on in secret to Lori and seldom to return. Not I, for I deem it perilous now for a mortal man wolfly to seek out the elder people. Yet I envy you that yet I envy you that have spoken with the white lady. The lady of Lorien, Galadriel, cried Sam. You should see her indeed you should, sir. 
I'm only a hobbit, and gardening's my job at home. Home, sir, if you understand me, and I'm not much good at poetry, not at making it. A bit of comic rhyme, perhaps, now and again, you know, but not real poetry, so I can't tell you what I mean. It ought to be sung. You'd have to get Strider, Aragorn, that is, or, or old Mr. Bilbo for that, but I wish I could make a song about her. Beautiful she is, sir, lovely, sometimes like a great tree in the flower, sometimes like a white daffodown dilly, small and slender-like, hard sometimes hard as diamonds, soft as moonlight, warm as sunlight, cold as frost in the stars, proud and far off as a snow mountain, and as merry as any lass I ever saw with daisies in her hand, daisies in her hair in springtime. But that's a lot of nonsense, and all wide of my mark. Then she must be lovely indeed, said Faramir. Periously fair. I take I don't know about perilous, said Sam. It strikes me that the folk takes their peril with them into Lorien, and finds it there because they've brought it. But perhaps you could call her perilous because she's so strong in herself. You you could dash yourself to pieces on she's so strong. You could dash yourself to pieces on her, like a ship on a rock, or drown yourself, like a hobbit in a river, but neither rock nor river would be to blame. Now Bor- He stopped and went red in the face. Yes? Now Boromir, you would say, said Faramir. Would, what would you say? He took his pearl with him? Yes, sir, begging your pardon, and a fine man as your brother was, if I may say so, but you've been warm on the scent all along. Now I watched Boromir and listened to him from Rivendell all down the road, looking after my master, as you'll understand, and not meaning any harm to Boromir. And it's my opinion that in Lorien he first saw clearly what I guessed sooner, what he wanted. From the moment he first saw it, he wanted the enemy's ring. Sam, cried Frodo aghast. He had fallen deep into his own thoughts for a while and came out of them suddenly and too late. Save me, said Sam, turning white and then flushing scarlet. There I go again. When you, whenever you open your big mouth, you put your foot in it. Said the gaffer. Used, the gaffer used to say to me, and right enough. Oh dear, oh dear. Now look here, sir. He turned, facing up to Faramir with all the courage that he could muster. Don't you go taking advantage of my master because his servant's no better than a fool. You've spoken very handsome all along. Put me off my guard, talking of elves and all. But handsome is as handsome does, we say. Now's a chance to show your quality. So it seems, said Faramir, slowly and very softly, with a strange smile. So that is the answer to all the riddles. The one that, the one ring that was thought to have perished from the world. And Boromir tried to take it by force, and you escaped, and ran all the way to me. And here in the wild I have you, two halflings and a host of men at my cell, and the ring of rings. A pretty stroke of fortune, a chance for Faramir, captain of Gondor, to show his quality. Ha! He stood up very tall and stern, his gray eyes glinting. Frodo and Sam sprang from their stools and set themselves side by side with their backs to the wall, fumbling to their sword hilts. There was a silence. All the men in the cave stopped talking and looked towards them in wonder. But Farmer sat down again in his chair and began to laugh quietly, and then suddenly became grave again. Alas for Boromir, it was too sore a trial, he said. How have you increased my sorrow, you two strange wanderers from a far country, bringing the bearing the peril of men? But you are less judges of men than I of halflings. We are truth speakers, we men of Gondor. We both seldom and then perform or die in the in the attempt. 
Not if I found it on the highway would I take it, I said. Even if I were such a man as to desire this thing, and even though I knew not clearly what this thing was when I spoke, so I should take those words as a vow and be held by them. But I am not such a man, or I am wise enough to know that there are some perils from which a man must flee. Sit at peace and be comforted, Samwise. If you seem to have stumbled, think that it was fated to be so. Your heart is shrewd as well as faithful, and saw clearer than your eyes. For strange though it may seem, it was safe to declare this to me. It may even help the master that you love, if shall turn to his good, if it is in my power. So be comforted, but do not even name this thing al again aloud. Once is enough. The hobbits came back to their seats and sat very quiet. Men turned back to their drink and their talk, perceiving that their captain had some jest or other with little with the little guests, and that it was over. Well, Frodo, now at least we have understand one another, said Faramir. If you took this thing on yourself, unwilling at others asking, then you have pity and honor from me, and I marvel at you, to keep it hid and not use it. You are a new of people in a new world to me, in your in all your can of like sort. Your land must be a realm of peace and content, and there must be gardeners, and there must gardeners be in a high honor. Not all is well there, said Frodo, but certainly gardeners are honored. But folk must grow weary there, even in their gardens, as do all things under the sun of this world. And you are far from home and wayworn. No more tonight. Sleep, both of you, in peace if you can. Fear not. I do not wish to see it or touch it or know more of it than I know which is enough. Less peril perchance waylay me, and I fall lower in the test that Frodo I and I fall lower in the test than Frodo, son of Drogo. Go now to rest. But first tell me only, if you will, whither you wish to go and what to do, for I must watch and wait and think. Time passes, in the morning we must each go swiftly on the ways appointed to us. Frodo had felt himself trembling as the first shock of fear passed. Now a great weariness came down on him like a cloud. He could he could dissemble and re resist no longer. I was going to find a way into Mordor, he said faintly. I was going to go Gorgoroth. I must find the mountain of fire and cast the thing into the gulf of doom. Gandalf said so. I do not think that I shall ever get there. Faramir stared at him for a moment in grave astonishment. Then suddenly he caught him as he swayed, and lifting him gently, carried him to the bed and laid him there, and covered him warmly. Warmly, At once he fell into a deep sleep. Another bed was set beside him for his servant. Sam hesitated for a moment, then bowing very low. Good night, Captain, my lord, he said. You took the chance, sir. Did I so? said Faramir. Yes, sir, and showed your quality, the very highest. Faramir smiled. A pert servant, Master Samwise, but nay, the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards, yet there was not in this to praise. I had no lore desire to do other than I have done. Ah, well, sir, said Sam, you said my master had an elvish air, and that was good and true, but I can say this. You have an air, too, sir, that reminds me of, of well, Gandalf, of wizards. Maybe, said Farmer, maybe you discern from far away the air of Numenor. Good night. 